0: like that it's over with oh my how many would be interested in having a night of worship where we all get together and we just spend the whole evening worshiping the lord and and having a chance to just praise him for who he is and what he is doing in our lives maybe a few testimonies mixed in okay courtney are you taking all this in okay yes we need to do that soon well good afternoon actually not quite yet you give me a few minutes we'll be in the afternoon Uh, Good morning. My name is Bill Walker. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to a series we're doing out of the Word of God called The Good Life. The Good Life. And it comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached by the greatest person who has ever lived. His name is Jesus Christ. I hope you know him. Uh, If you don't, we would love the opportunity to introduce you to him. Um, We are making our way slowly but surely through this message, um, it it takes up chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. And I am pleased to say that we have hit another milestone in our journey. Today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So take your Bibles with me this morning, and we're going to draw our attention to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Now, the the good life, if I could put it in a little synopsis or a little nutshell, is simply this. It is the invitation that Jesus gives us to follow him. And we follow him in loving obedience. And we're doing good, and we're doing good, and we're doing good out of a heart that he is making good, all of which is done to the glory of God the Father that is, in a nutshell, what the message uh, that Jesus proclaimed that day, 2000 years ago, is all about. Today, we're going to step into the next section. And we're actually going to look at a verse that is the most quoted verse in our society today. It may not be the verse you're thinking, John three sixteen. No, that's the one the believers often quote. But the verse most quoted in our society today is found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Let me put it the way it's often put back. Jesus said you're not supposed to judge. Right? Is that true? We'll look into this in just a few minutes. So Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce on others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will actually be measured back to you. We're going to talk about what that means. So Jesus goes on and he gives us this interesting picture. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? And not notice the log that is sticking out of your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when there's a log sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First, you need to take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then this strange verse here, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you, or to attack you. Uh, I don't see that as the end of what Jesus is saying here. It's actually part of what he's trying to say here. So let me include the rest of what I think he intends in this section. He goes on to say this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good, good father. Verse 12 is the last. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets whoa what's all that even mean we're going to talk about that would you bow your heads with me as we go before the author and ask him to help us to figure out what it means father thank you for the opportunity that we've just had to uh, exalt your son whose mission on earth was to honor you through obedience and to create a way for us to know you thank you so much for jesus father his willingness to uh, be obedient to you his father and come and die in our place so that we could have our sins dealt with, so that we can truly know the Father who created us for his glory. Father, thank you so much. In the next few moments, Father, help us to unpack what is before us. Because I think there's a very pertinent message there for each one of us here, as well as the people that you have placed around us, both within the church and in our greater community. Help us to have ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. So, uh, Jesus continues on in this section uh, that I I would simply uh, entitle, The Imperatives of the Good Life. The Imperatives of the Good Life. Now, an imperative, by definition, is a command. And Jesus gives us several commands in this section of Scripture so that we can assess and evaluate the reality of our relationship with the Father. You see, it's one thing to say, yeah, I know God, I know God, doesn't everybody know God? It's one thing to say, I know God, but it is something else completely to have a living and vital relationship with the Father that is being nurtured through personal spiritual practices Like Jesus refers to here in this section, the practice of generously trusting the Father with the finances he gives to us, we give back to him to prove that he is the owner of it all. Also, we turn to the Father in prayer, graciously approaching the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gave this wonderful model prayer that we can look back to the Father and talk to him. And then also this whole idea of fasting, which to me has revitalized my walk with the Lord in many ways. It's where we set aside special time to say, Father, I greatly desire you, and I'm willing to let go of the things of this world and to embrace you through this short season of going hungry physically because my true hunger is spiritual, and I want the Father. I desire him. And so these practices are meant to be part of our relationship with the Lord. But the question is this. Is it real? Is the Father truly your Father? And so Jesus kind of pushes this down through the next section called imperatives. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at, at initially the idea, of the question of loyalty. Of loyalty. Where do your loyalties lie? And at the end of that section, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus gave these words, no one, no one can serve two masters. Or you cannot serve both God and money or your own self-interests. You have to make a choice. And the goal there is that we would make an exclusive choice of loyalty to the Father above our own lives. Then last week when we were together, we also looked at the question of trust. Are we being ruled by fear or are we truly being ruled by faith in a good, good, great, powerful Father? And there at the end of that section in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we have this admonition. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's an exclusive call to trust the Father above all. So what Jesus has been doing in this latter section is he's been doing this. He's been calling us to an unswerving loyalty in an uncompromising trust in God the Father. Today, he is going to call us on mission. He's calling us to do what the Father wants done in this world. He is calling us, he's asking us the question of mission. Whose kingdom are you building? Is my life devoted to building God's kingdom in this world or is it my kingdom on earth or some other kingdom that we are investing all our life and energy into? We can tell what kingdom we're building By looking at how we treat other people. How we treat other people. Interesting. Jesus says you can know the reality of your faith by the way you handle your possessions, by the way you deal with pleasures, by the way you handle pressures, and by how you interact with people. You can tell the reality of your faith by those things. And so today, we're going to push down into this idea of whose kingdom are you building. Now, here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, it actually looks like a kind of a disjointed mess. I mean, you look at it. Jesus kind of throws out this command, judge not that you be not judged. And then he throws in this thing, oh, by the way, don't give to dogs what's holy. And then he says, ask and seek and knock. And then he ends with a golden rule. So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. And so it looks kind of like this mishmash of stuff that he's kind of throwing on at the very end before he actually concludes in the following verses. This reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has this habit as you read through his letters, his epistles, is that he kind of begins with a warm, strong greeting or admonition. Then he kind of logically flows his way through his letters. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of his letters, he just kind of throws all this stuff out there. And do, 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 don't do, don't do, don't do, not do do not do do blah. And then, by the way, goodbye. It's almost like Paul, you know, the amanuensis, the guy who's actually writing for Paul, as Paul dictates to him, it's like, hey, Paul, what? Paul. We're running out of parchment. No, really? Well, we better hurry up and say these things. Blah, 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 blah. Goodbye. So Paul does that a lot in his writings. He just kind of lays it all out there at the end and says, good luck, God bless, and here we go. And, and so you could almost think Jesus might be doing that because we're getting very close to the end of his letter. But I don't think that's what he's doing. I really think that what Jesus is saying in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 are a very tightly organized uh, understanding And it all revolves around this question of mission. It revolves around how do we relate to people. And we're going to look at uh, the idea of the need of grace in relating to people, the idea of discernment as we relate to people. We'll only get a chance to look at those two today. But then he's also going to tell us the need for prayer and compassion as we seek to relate to people. And so that's really what I see in this section is that Jesus is putting us on focus for people. People. Our mission is people. Let me say that again just in case we didn't get it. Our mission is people. Listen to what Jesus said even before he he preached this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus said this. It says, he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who's he talking to? Not a trick question. Some of you got it. He's talking to people. Yes. Turn from your way and your will. Embrace me so you can have a relationship with the Father. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's proclaiming this truth because he's here to reach people. Just to make sure that we get it, two verses later as he was getting his first disciples together, he made it very clear to them. Follow me, guys, and I will make you fishers of what? People. Yeah, okay. People. It's about people. The mission of God is about people. The mission of God is about People, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, back at the very beginning, we talked about the influence we were meant to have, and we are to be salt, and we are to be light, so that what? So that people, say people, <laughs> people, yes. Yeah, so that people may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not the culture, it's people. We are on mission for We are on mission for. Jesus was on mission for. We're called to be on mission for. It's about people. It's all about people. And Jesus, uh, actually, it concludes in Matthew chapter 28, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, looking back on his disciples, and he was so clear. Go! Make disciples of all nations. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all the things that I've already commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the, the, end of the age. So Jesus is saying, my whole ministry life has been about, I'm die, I've died on the cross, I've, I've been resurrected so that their sins can be forgiven, and so I'm going back to be with the Father, but I'm going to walk alongside you as you do your ministry towards? You got it. It's about people. It's not about politics. Let me say that again, because we're just in that season of life, in that season of this country, we're all so stinking edgy about this stuff. It's about people. It's about people. Individuals. I'm gonna make a statement. You may disagree with me, but that's okay. We can wrestle with this later. I don't think Jesus is, is as concerned about the United States of America as he is about Americans. I don't think he really has much care over the political processes that play out in our country. What he cares about are the people who compose this country. And we need to get our eyes off the sheer politics of everything and get them fixed on the people one at a time. Because there's no way to change a culture unless you change the people in the culture. You can't do it from the outside in. And so Jesus was all about people. All right, let's jump into what he has to say here. It is about people, and if it's about people and in interacting as, with people as a child of God on kingdom mission, what does that mean? Well, first, I think Jesus is putting his finger on the need for grace, the need for grace in this mission of reaching people. Notice what Jesus says here. He said this, do not, or judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce on others, you will be judged, and with the measurement you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the key here, the command is this. Judge not. Judge not. Now, let's kind of break this down a little bit, see if we can understand it a little better. Uh, The word judge is a little Greek word that actually has a big breadth of meaning. It, It is a command that can mean to be discerning, to judge judiciously, or uh, in other words, in a courtroom, or it can mean to be judgmental and to condemn. Now, the context in which you find a word will determine the meaning of that word. And looking in the context here and trying to understand what Jesus is saying, it seems best to understand that what Jesus is saying is this. Do not be judgmental. Verse 5 actually has the word hypocrite in it. So that seems to fit the context there as well. So Jesus is saying, do not adopt a critical spirit or a condemning attitude that denounces people. Let me say that one more time. Do not adopt a critical spirit or a condemning attitude that denounces people. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that we should not be discerning or careful as a child of God on mission for the Lord. And the mission is all about, it is important that I be discerning, looking at people and at where they stand in relationship to God. I need to be discerning so that I know the best way that I can approach them with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is ultimately my mission that Jesus Christ secured through his death and resurrection. And so I am discerning. I am looking and trying to assess and understand where people are in relationship to God. That's how I judge them, in Christ, outside of Christ, and where are they in relationship of an ongoing relationship with the Lord. So we are called to be discerning as to where people are in relationship with the Father and where they are in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So by all means, we should be discerning like that. But what Jesus is condemning here is condemning. Let me say that again. Jesus is condemning condemnation. Jesus is condemning being judgmental. Jesus is condemning the idea that you are are going to um, denounce somebody. But wait a minute. Isn't that condemning? Can Jesus do that? He's condemning our condemning. Can he do that? Yeah, he can do that. He's God, right? Jesus can do anything he wants. But we also know from the scripture that God the Father has committed all judgment into the Son's hands. So if anybody has the right to tell us, you better not be doing this, it is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is condemning our condemnation. Now there's a couple of ways these two verses could be understood. And I want to lay both of them before you and, and help us to appreciate them a little bit. On the one hand, what Jesus could be saying in these verses, one and two is that by having a judgmental attitude towards others, we are in effect driving people away and encouraging them to condemn us. Notice, do not be judgmental towards someone that you be not judged by them. So on the one hand, it could be the idea that we're judging somebody, and as we judge somebody, they're returning the favor by judging us. Kind of like the golden rule, only screwed up. You know, do unto others as you have them do to you. Well, guess what? People are going to do to you what you do to them. And if you judge and condemn and denounce them, how are they going to respond? Thank you. Is that how they're going to do it? How many like to be judged? How many like to be condemned? How many like to be denounced? Yeah, I didn't think so. And yet, when we act this way towards others, we are, in effect, driving them away and actually causing them to be angry toward us. For the very measurement you pronounce on somebody else, they'll judge you the same way. And with the measurement you use, they will measure it back against you. So on the one hand, it has this idea that as we treat others, people will likewise treat us. You know, um... <laughs> There are, um, there's an old saying, that when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Ever heard that saying? When all you have is, is one tool, then everything you look at happens to be a nail, even if it's not. And so what happens is this, is if we only really have truth, and we don't have love, then the result is this, bam! How dare you? Bam! Do you know that God said don't do that? Bam! And, and what we're doing, in effect, is we are driving people away. Bam, 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 I got the truth. And you know what? You're just going to have to deal with it. That's how some of us feel. How many folks have driven through, um, uh, I'm going I'm to say something that maybe I shouldn't say, but how many folks have driven through La Plata Sunday afternoon and seen these people standing on corners holding up big, thick Bibles and yelling at people that drive by? I see them many Sunday afternoons, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? You don't have a relationship with any of these people. And every person that drives by, you're just taking a big hammer and you're, ha- you're nailing them. Oh, you're really loving them well. They really feel drawn to you. I can tell because they're speeding by. You know, what is with that? You know, could it be that the reason why people don't like being around us, they don't feel comfortable around us, is because they feel judged by us? Could it be that we have said, bam? Don't you know what God said? Bam! And and they're like, okay, fine. You're judging and condemning me. So I I feel judged and condemned. So I'm going to treat you the same way. So excuse me, I don't like you. And we are in effect driving people away. So this idea of judge not is wise. Because quite frankly, how we treat people, they will treat us. And if our goal is that they might know the love of God found in Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to drive them away. We'll talk more about how we're supposed to respond to a needy world other than judging them. So on the one hand, this could mean that Jesus is saying that a judgmental attitude towards others will in effect drive people away and encourage them to treat us the same by condemning us. But on the other hand, what Jesus could be saying here is that by having a judgmental attitude towards others, that we are in, in fact, usurping God's authority. Ooh. Ooh. Really? Do not judge that you be not judged by God. For with the judgment you pronounce on other people, you will be judged by God. And with the measurement you use on them, it will be measured back to you. Ooh. Ooh. Can it really mean that? Well, you know, this is not an isolated incidence in the Scripture. Uh, just a few verses before this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus taught us to pray like this. Forgive us our debts... as we also for have forgiven our debtors. And just in case we're not sure what that means, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus clarifies, for if you forgive others their transgressions, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither would your Father forgive you your trespasses. What? What? You mean there's like a reciprocity with God? How we choose to treat others is how he will choose to treat us in kind? Really? Well, again, James uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 says this. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If we show mercy, we will be shown mercy. If we forgive, we are to be forgiven. If we are judgmental and condemning, Jesus will use the same standard on us that we use on others. Ow. Could he really be saying that? Could he really mean that? Paul said this in Romans chapter two and verse one, in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things you condemn them for. So it's a very good chance that this could mean that how we treat other people not only will they treat us but that's how the father is going to treat us as well so in fact what jesus could be saying is this to be the judge is above your pay grade there's only one god and you're not him and so he's basically saying Do not judge unless you want it metered out the same way you're given it. I don't know about you, but I want mercy. How many want mercy? How many want grace? How many want forgiveness? Amen. And so who am I to to be ungracious and unmerciful and, and unforgiving if I want God to use my life to pour these things through? He'll stop it up, and I will just be left empty. So this is part of what he's saying. So don't judge, okay? It's for your own good. It's for our own good. And it's also for others' benefit because now it opens the door for us to actually be able to minister to them. Uh, One last thing uh, I'd like to say concerning this is uh, that in effect, I I think it's left indefinite because I think Jesus is really kind of putting both ideas forward here. On the one hand, he's saying this, if if you're having a critical condemning spirit towards others, um, we can potentially drive them away, the very people that God loves and Jesus died for, and we are playing God, and God will use the same standard on us that we use on others. So I think he could mean both. But one other thing that I think is here by inference is this. If we are not gracious towards others, but have a condemning judgmental attitude, it could reveal, it could reveal that we have never truly experienced God's grace in the first place this whole section that we're dealing with here uh, ultimately goes back to chapter six and verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousnesses before other people in order to be seen. He was talking about the religious leaders of his day. They were hypocrites. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. They They didn't know the living God and they were just playing games. And so Jesus brings this forward into this section. And the question is this, have you truly experienced the grace of God because it will change you and make you gracious? These people were not gracious or merciful or forgiving because they had never experienced the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. One of my favorite commentators has been working this series, a man by the name of D.A. Carson, D.A. Carson. He has taught in many a seminary. He's a New Testament scholar. And he had this to say about this idea uh, in this section. He said this, a judgmental attitude excludes us from God's pardon for it betrays an unbroken spirit. That's pretty serious. And I think Jesus is being pretty serious here. If you're just being a hypocrite and you're running around condemning everybody, not only are you driving them away, not only is God gonna deal with you in kind, but it could be that you've never known him because grace humbles you. Grace changes you, and it makes you gracious even with the most difficult sorts of people because that's you you're looking at apart from the grace of God. So I'm going to actually kind of unpack this a little bit more because Jesus does. Uh, So this whole idea here is we need to be gracious as we interact with people as, as we seek to live out kingdom mission. We need to be gracious and not judgmental. But this next section has to do with being discerning. Being discerning. He goes on to say this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the little speck out of your eye. When there's a log stuck in your eye. This is meant to be funny. You can laugh at this point. Jesus is being a little little, little, ludicrous here. He says, you hypocrite, first remove the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he gives us this interesting little statement here. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So Jesus is giving us basically two different groups of people that we are called to interact with on kingdom mission. One of these groups of people is referred to our brothers. These are people who would identify with God and probably be part of, of biblical community. And then there are these dogs and pigs. And uh, dogs and pigs were never very complementary things. They were usually wild animals and unclean animals in Israel. And this is a, a way of talking about those who are apart from God, those apart from biblical community, those who are apart from God. And so um, he's talking about interacting with a brother. This is somebody who's saved, and interacting with those who are unsaved. And so there's two different ways we're called to interact here. This is about discernment. This is about discernment. And again, our goal is to evaluate people as God sees them. This is my child. This isn't. And so the goal is that we would go after those who, who need him to show him. But we also are called to interact with the family of God and help each of us stay on task in our walk in holiness in our mission. But what I want you to notice is before we even get to the brother and before we even get to the dogs, we've got to deal with ourselves. We need to be discerning enough to know, wait a minute, I've got this big honking log sticking out of my eye. And so here we are. And the question is, are we in inspectors? Is this how we think? Is this how we function? Is this how we work? Is this what we see? An inspector, by simple definition, is somebody who ensures that official regulations are being obeyed. And so they are constantly looking at people and judging them. Oh, they keep the rules. Oh, they don't. Oh, did they see that? Oh, my gosh. And this kind of an attitude we joke about in the church, don't we? Sure we do. Yeah, you know, Pastor Bill, I've got the spiritual gift of cynicism. i got the spiritual gift of, of sarcasm. <laughs> How many have the spiritual gift of sarcasm? Did you know that's not a spiritual gift? Just want you to know that. Those are Christian gloss words that we use to cover up the log sticking out of our eye. We aren't supposed to look at people in a judgmental way and, and judge them. And so we become these inspectors. And so we got this log sticking out of our own eyes. We kind of mock other people. I'm being harsh here. And I'm being harsh on myself. Because quite frankly, I come from Maine. And if you're a New Englander, sarcasm is how you grow up. It is what it is. By the way, do you know what the word sarcasm means? Sar means flesh. Chasm means to cut open. It is, through the use of of a nifty way of talking, cutting people up and laughing. That's not funny. And it's being condemning. And it's it's, uh, hurting people, hurting people. And so when it comes to this idea of being discerning, we need to begin with ourselves. And so the inspector needs to begin by evaluating his own heart and life. I love what Paul told the Corinthian church. He said, listen, guys, you really need to examine yourselves to see whether you are truly in the faith. You need to test yourselves. That's important. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you have failed to meet the test? What's the test? What's the test? Is it a theological examination? Jesus, Bible, God, right? I got them all usually in that order. Sometimes I have to switch it around, but usually I get the answers right if I go Jesus, Bible, God. Is that what he's talking about? If I can answer all the questions correctly, then obviously I'm in. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. Now, it's, it's important that we understand correctly who we are and who God is and, and our, our need of him, who Jesus is. That's all important. However, what he is talking about here is not just having the right answers. What he's talking about here is a transformation of life. He's saying examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if the reality of the living Lord Jesus Christ is in you. Is he really resident? Because if he is, your life is going to be radically different than it was. That's just the reality of it. Does the Holy Spirit of God dwell in you? How big a difference does that make? Well, I think this guy gets it.
1: So good. One thing I want that's I, on the forefront of my mind is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, he changes everything, okay? Like our, our hearts of, of stone become flesh. It's this miracle. We go from death to life. We go from being deaf to the word of God to hearing it and wanting it and longing for it. Ezekiel talks about that day when God's actually going to put the spirit in us and we'll actually want his commands. We'll actually desire it. Um, and, and, and so, so whether, however we spread the gospel, okay? I, no, I shouldn't say that. If if some feel it's too simplistic or whatever, in some ways, it might not matter because if the Holy Spirit actually indwells that person, when he hears truth later on, he'll accept it. He'll want it because we're his sheep now. We listen to his voice. And the problem is we we had a lot of people make a decision. I make a lot of decisions. You know, I decided to run every day this year. Mm -hmm. I've ran five times okay it's October it's October, I, it's October. <laughs> I start. I ran four miles on January 1st and I haven't run four miles since so we make decisions we make decisions we make vows for better or for worse what does that mean Okay, and we make decisions to follow Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, for the person who has been changed by the Holy Spirit, that's the seal of our salvation. I can't walk away from Jesus. Man, you you try to talk me out of this. I know him, I love him. You're not gonna stop me. Do I need people to walk me down that path? And yes, I do. Here's the problem is we have all these people that have made a decision and we love them, and in good conscience, we don't want to lose any of them. Well, some of them didn't really make the true decision. They're, the Holy Spirit did, did this repentance. and We preach a gospel where, you know, Acts 2, we say, repent be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so many have preached a gospel that doesn't include repentance or baptism or the Holy Spirit, yeah. you know? And so you're trying to force people to move down this level of growth without that miracle of the Holy Spirit changed me. And I actually desire that growth. I was actually born again, so I crave this milk. I mean, we've seen that miracle of when your baby's born and it's just like, you know, they just they just know. <laughs> there's something that happens and there is something that happens when someone is born again, not a little thing. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God now. That is a tremendous power. Your heart that was stoned, you who were powerless against sin, now you can put it to death. That's intense. And we don't talk about this power and this new desire and how we're a slave to what is right. And I, I fear that we're trying to make People go through the sanctification process when they haven't really understood the change and if that change has taken place in their life. But because we don't want to lose those people, we'll make a system that they can get through even without the Holy Spirit and even get in the church leadership and everything else. So that's the only thing I would add is is just a, a revisiting of, man, what does the Holy Spirit do as Tozer said? Because I don't think anyone has ever had the Holy Spirit enter them and they didn't know that's right um, it was a it was that's, it's a yeah. big big change and so sometimes we say well you know I think I see a little bit of fruit and it's like gosh I, that's, that's hard to imagine if yeah. you're a temple of the spirit now and you weren't before like when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost
0: wow wow so what does the test even look like it, it involves a heart test like we looked at two weeks ago Do we truly see the Father as our reward and value him above the things of this world? Jesus says that we can tell the reality of our relationship with the Father by how we handle the tangible things like money and possessions in our lives. The eye test, a healthy eye is one that sees and responds to the Father's word and is being absorbed into our lives and we're beginning to live it out. But an unhealthy eye is one that is consumed with the trinkets and pleasures of this life, wasting our one and only life on the trivial pursuits of this life, just having Last week, we looked at the blood pressure test. Jesus is saying that our response to life and its challenges reveals much about who we really trust and what we truly trust. Possessions and pleasures and problems and people will tell us if we know the Father. It's not just words we pray. It's not just a Bible verse I claim. It's a transformation of life that happens when the Holy Spirit enters in, we're born again, and there's a change, a transformation of who we used to be into who we're becoming, more like Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just gonna push through uh, this because uh, I'm, I'm, what time is it? What time is it? It's what? Shame on you, your clocks are off. This one says 11.03, (laughs) right there. Now, I got two more things I need to say quickly because they're actually where we need to go. Uh, I'm not here next week or the week after. I'm on vacation, so I can guarantee you the services, the next two weeks will be shorter, okay? Is that a deal? All right, let's go. All right, so we begin by dealing with our own eye and by confession as the Holy Spirit brings things to our minds. We confess this stuff, and Jesus forgives it, and the log is now removed from our eye. When that happens, we will then be able to clearly help others. We are called to help others in the family of God walk in holiness. We are called to help each other, welcome and love and accept and admonish one another to help each other honor the Father. So we go from being a spectator, inspector, to being someone who is spirit-filled. The Spirit of God is welling up in us, and we're seeking to honor God with our lives. When we're there, we are in a perfect position to help others in the family of God. Brothers! If there's anyone caught in a transgression, the idea is they've tripped and they've fallen spiritually. You who then are, who are spiritual. Oh, I'm not spiritual. If you have the spirit of God and you're walking in obedience, you're spiritual. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? You know what I mean? I don't condemn him. I mean, I don't throw a rock at him. I mean, I don't call him a dog. No, a spirit of gentleness. Keeping watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. The reason is, is because that could be me but for the grace of God. Bear one another's burdens, serve each other. And that's how you fulfill the law of love, which is the law of Christ. I love this part right here, it says to restore him. The word restore has the idea of setting a broken bone. And you do that with the utmost care, the utmost gentleness. You're there to support and encourage and help And we're called to do that in the family of God for one another. Because sin is never an excuse. Because Father wants the best for his kids. So we as brothers and sisters help each other to honor the Father. Amen? That's very important in the family of God. It's important that we do these things. Why? Because our manner of life needs to be worthy of the gospel of Christ because the world is watching. We need to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving by side by side for the faith of the gospel. So on the one hand, after we deal with our own issues, our spirit led, we can now help each other to walk in the ways of God. Lastly, let me talk about how we deal with this whole issue of pigs. Don't give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Um, So here, we've dealt with ourselves. Here, we've helped brothers and sisters in the family of God, and now we're talking about how to relate to those outside of Christ. This is discerning or helping unbelievers. Now, on the one hand, Jesus could be referring, there's two basic thoughts here. Jesus could be referring to the judgmental attitude we have towards those who are unsaved and immoral. The judgmental attitude, the condemning attitude, the denouncing attitude that we have towards those who are immoral. Do you think Jesus reads Facebook? Hmm, curious. If you, uh, if you will, we're trying to apply family rules to those who are not part of the family. Much of what we are doing today, the church is doing in the culture. So this is one way of interpreting it. If you view your criticism as pearls of wisdom and toss them at those you consider to be swine and dogs then those swine will trample your wisdom under their feet, and those dogs will perceive your attitude, and they will turn and attack you. I don't know a better way to describe the way the church is perceived in the culture by people that don't agree with what the church stands for. We live today in a hostile host nation. When are we going to get the idea that we were never the majority? We've always thought we were. Well, today as the cover comes off the culture, we're seeing people fade back into society and the church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's not that people are are, are prodigal sons. Their hearts had never been converted. It was social pressure that kept them there. And they've just gone back to doing seven days a week what they were doing six days a week. So the reality is this. We are called to engage people not just by bumper sticker truth. That is truth without a relationship, and it always leads to rebellion. That's not how we're meant to relate to the culture. You know, uh, uh, sorry, I've got to get going here. I want to get done. I want to get you out, and I don't want the children's workers to take me and burn me. so. (laughs) So, we are called to have a servant's heart toward our culture. Um, Another view of the story that Jesus told is this. Be discerning towards those who are without. The pearls are a reference to the pearl of grace, price, Jesus and the gospel. Be careful not to simply blunder in and throw your spiritual truths at people. We should not try to force our message on those who show no inclination to accept it. We will only serve to enrage them and drive them away. So what do we do, Pastor Bill? How do we respond to the reality of this culture? Shall I tell you? Okay, here we go. I'm gonna give you a quick synopsis of what the New Testament teaches about how do we engage the culture. I'm gonna do it in two minutes. Here we go. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, Paul says? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? Yes, we are to help each other follow the Lord, deal with sin in our lives. God judges what the people in the world that's not our job that has never been our job in fact I challenge you to bring to me one verse of scripture that says we're called to denounce the culture because I can't find one. Oh yeah come on you know Matthew chapter 5 you know uh, we're to be salt and light okay salt and light is that the best you got because I'm about to mow you over with all the other teachings of scripture here we go Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, those who are pigs and dogs, making the best use of your time. And let your speech always be, oh, my gosh, really? We're supposed to be gracious? Yes, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're to be gracious, not condemning, not judgmental, not denouncing. Gracious. And he goes on to say this, live such good lives among pagans. Is that not a good word for our culture? A pagan culture, sure. They're apart from God. That they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your, what's this? Oh my goodness. And God, on the day he visits us, for it is God's will, this is God's will, that by, yeah, you should silence the ignorant top of foolish men. You're going to give me one verse that say, we need to engage the culture. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses that says, no, we're to engage people in love and service. We're to engage people with graciousness. We're not done. Here we go. Remind them to be submissive. Paul told Titus, uh, that, that, that island of Crete that he was on, where the Cretans lived. They were a bunch of slow bellies and, and whatever. He said, I want you to remind them, Titus, to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to. Let our people learn to devote themselves to. Do you think he wants them to do good? Yeah. Okay, we're not done. Here we go. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. I know all the answers. You're condemned. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of how many? Oh my gosh, do you think Jesus reads Facebook? Do you know what I'm saying? We are condemning everybody all around us because they're not like us. But guess what? They're not like us. How can you hold people to a standard that we have a hard time living up to without indwelling Holy Spirit? It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. And so, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with? There's our word again. Okay, okay. Jesus gave us this one. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your... And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, it's people. Bold, not the culture he's referring to. And then lastly, we do all of this, oops, go back. We do all of this love and gentleness and service and, 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 and helping and, and, and living with these people in a way that makes Jesus Christ attractive to get to this place. Be prepared because sometime they're going to come and ask you to give an answer as to the reason of the hope that you have. But when they do, how do I want you to respond? We are never to deal with anybody disrespectfully. We are never to deal with anybody that's not in a gentle manner. So, you throw your verse at me, let's take on the culture, let's win this country back. I'm gonna throw the whole New Testament at you and say, ah, you got the wrong kingdom you're trying to build. Jesus has a kingdom. It's about people. And he died to redeem them. You know what I've discovered over the years? Most people already know they're condemned. They just do. Most people live with a level of guilt in their lives they just can't manage with. But what most people don't know is they can be forgiven. That's our mission. Our mission is to take the love of Christ to them. How many of you are familiar with John 3.16? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We carry on the mission of Jesus today. What was his mission? To save people. And we take this message to others and we don't judge them. Jesus said, Don't judge. You know what? They're right. When are we going to listen? I'm done, but i got to just say this one thing. Uh, somebody came up to me. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and, and. Finally, said Paul, and then a few verses left. Finally. Yeah, no. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor Bill, then what do we do? What do we do about all these people who are living in lifestyles that are so, so diverse and so, so wrong and so anti-biblical? I said, well, think of it this way. We have condemned and denounced and we have held them in judgment for years, how's that going for us? Maybe we should just try loving them, serving them, getting close enough to build a relationship with them so that they can understand a God who loves them so much, he sent his son to die for them too. Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world, not only our sins, but for the sin of the whole world. 1 John 2.